And we could see there through the leadership of Moses how God led uh, his people through that uh, amazing uh, chapter and into the freedom that God had promised them. So we're going to explore that a little bit uh, together. Uh, there is an activity table for children. If you'd like to go and explore that, um, you can go and make stuff on there. So please feel free to do that while I continue talking. But I'm going to begin with a joke. You know I love to begin with a joke, but you're going to need to think about this one today. I told it at nine o'clock, and I barely got a murmur out of them. So clearly they weren't awake enough. So it's, uh, it's one of those jokes today, I'm afraid. Well, a man is shipwrecked and becomes stranded on a tiny desert island in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. And months and months go by. He's lonely, isolated, and going mad for the lack of human contact. And one day he goes for yet another walk around the island. And this time he notices a bottle lying in the sand on the seashore. And in it there's a piece of paper. And he picks up the bottle and he pulls out the paper. You never guess what he sees on there. The BT logo. And on it some words. It says this. Due to the lack of activity on your account, we regretfully inform you that your email account has now been cancelled. You see, I did warn you. A couple of weeks later, he got another bottle, and this time it was from the bank, saying that it was overdrawn and he was going to be charged. Anyway. No? You don't like that one? I won't visit that website again then. Never mind. I've chuckled away at that one for hours, but anyway. Well, we don't have to find ourselves on a desert island to feel trapped. We can all feel trapped in lots of different ways. So I want to ask you this morning, what's holding you prisoner at the moment? What is it making you feel trapped? Even just a little. It doesn't have to make you feel trapped in the whole of your life. What is making you feel trapped at the moment? Is it fear? Is it health? Is it aging? Work? Family worries? Marriage? The prospect of going back to school? Feeling trapped is a horrible experience. It's a horrible place to be in. Or maybe you don't feel especially trapped at the moment, but you do feel pursued by your enemy, or the enemy, Satan, that hateful, troublemaking opponent of all God's good plans. What enemy is hot on your heels at the moment? Is it insecurity? Making you behave in all sorts of unhelpful ways? Is it stress? Making your anger spill over? Is it worries causing you to think of nothing else? Is it temptation driving you to make impulsive, damaging choices? Is it your past chasing you with the memories of guilt and failure? Is it denial encouraging you to pretend that life is good, that you've got things sorted when you haven't and it isn't? Or is it greed? Is it that temptation to look after yourself above all others? driving you to accumulate stuff and to look after yourself. Being pursued by an enemy can also be a horrid experience and it can leave us exhausted and exceptionally damaged. You might be feeling like that right now. We can all be trapped. We can all feel pursued by our enemy. Many years ago, as we've seen, the Israelites were set free from a life of slavery, but it didn't 
instantly feel that way to them. Because it must have seemed to them that they'd swapped one heap of trouble for another heap of trouble. Slavery turned into wandering about the land that then turned into, as we've just seen in that movie clip, being pursued by their enemy. So swapping one heap of trouble for another. When we moved into the vicarage nearly three years ago, in order to rescue the garden for our family, we needed to fill in the pond. And it took more than a tonne of soil. More than a tonne. It's quite extraordinary. And three years on, a specialist company is still visiting our garden every three weeks to treat the Japanese knotweed that is left over from that pond growing under the grass. Half our lawn is dead because of that Japanese knotweed. It seems like we've swapped one heap of trouble for another heap of trouble. But like the Israelites, it seems like we're a working progress. That things are going on to help sort that situation out. But it will take time. It's not immediately apparent. The adventure that we're living can so often seem like it's a whole heap of trouble. And it can seem like we're swapping one heap of trouble for another. And we can resent this so easily. Because when you become a Christian, doesn't God set us free, just like the Israelite people? Free from the heap of trouble we were in, whether that was sin or pain, or struggles and stress, abuse and bullying. So if I'm now living God's adventure, if I'm now living with God, why on earth do I still have struggles? Why do I have problems still? Why do I feel trapped or pursued or both? Well, living life with God, God's adventure, can be hard. It can be really, really hard. Ultimately, though, God doesn't want us to be trapped or pursued. That's the good news. God is in the business of setting us free. He wants us to be free. He longs for us to be free. But it's along the way, on the journey, that he's at work for good, supporting us, guarding us, defending us and rescuing us. As Christians, we're in the process of seeing things being sorted out, of being set free. And God does this in and through the experiences that we have in life, which of course can be a mixture of good, bad and the downright ugly. And he does it in partnership with us, in our lives, through our lives. He doesn't just snap his fingers and sort everything out, making everything rosy, just like a genie from a bottle. Every chapter, every moment, every experience and episode on this adventure that we're on is charged with the potential for God to be working for good, setting us free and defeating our enemies. We're a working progress, just like the Vicarage Garden. So, who wants or needs that kind of help from God? Be honest. Jenny does. Steve does. John does. That's three people. I do. Four. Owen, five. There's five of us out of about 60. Cameron, 
Heather, brilliant. That's seven of us. Who wants God's support to set you free from the things that trap you or imprison you? Who wants God's help to overcome the enemies that are hot on your heels? I know I do. More than you know. I really do. And we need to do this as a community. We need to own up to, face up to, those things that so easily trap us, hold us prisoner. We need to face up to those things that are our enemies and are hot on our heels. Somehow we're, we're, we, have, we go through life with this protective shell around us where we, we just pretend, where we don't go there. And church is the worst place for that, it seems to me. It should be the best place. It should be the only place we have where we can go and be our true selves. It ought to be that place where we can go and say, I feel trapped because. I feel pursued by my enemy because. And yet we don't. We pretend for all sorts of reasons. And I'm just as bad as anybody else. But I'm tired of it. I'm tired of it. And I'm sure God's tired of it. And he wants us to face up to this together as a church community. So let's take then a look at the scripture that we have before us today. For some guidance, you can go home and read this. It's Exodus chapter 14. And you can look especially at verses 1 to 29. Because I want us to have some inspiration here as to what will help us to gain this freedom that God wants us to uh, gain through life, to achieve through life. This process of being set free. Well, the first thing we notice from this story, this extract from the Bible, is that when we join in with what God is doing, the world will know that he is the Lord. At the beginning of this chapter 14, God tells Moses to turn back and set up camp by the sea. It's uh, the bit of the story before we, uh, the point where we watch today. By joining in with this God-inspired plan, God is able to gain glory for himself and the people of the world begin to know that he is the Lord, that he's the God of all the earth, the one worthy of all honour and praise. If you'd been on the, on the shore, the banks of that sea, just like those people at the end, you would have thought that too. The God of all the earth has just done that. And he's worth all honour and praise. And this was something that William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, learnt the hard way. In the mid-1800s, the Christian mission that he and his wife Catherine were promoting began to grow, but the work was incredibly difficult. And William would, according to Catherine, stumble home night after night, haggard with fatigue, often his clothes were torn and bloody, bandages swathed his head where a stone had struck. Evening meetings were held in an old warehouse where urchins, we don't use that word anymore, do we? Urchins, threw stones and fireworks through the window. But he was determined. And the legacy of that wonderful man is clear for everybody to see. Through their soup kitchens, the care they gave, the social action, the preaching, and the music. All of which they got 
massive flack for. I mean, you wouldn't imagine how much they were hated amongst people in this country. God was given glory. And many, many people have discovered that God is the Lord of all the earth through that movement and through that legacy. Have you ever thought that when we turn to God for help in the things that we're facing on a daily basis, when we partner in his plans, through it, God will bring glory to himself and show the world just exactly who he is. Now that brings a whole new outlook to our lives. That for those who trust in God, his glory will be revealed through the things that we're working through. So will you and I trust God to help us so that through us and the things that we're going through, God can show the world how amazing he is. Secondly, the second bit of encouragement we notice from this story is this. There'll be times when we doubt and get scared. The Israelites certainly did. And in the reading, you can read later that the Israelite people told God in no uncertain terms, it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. In other words, this heap of trouble is worse than the one you've just rescued us from. Thank you very much. What's encouraging about this? I hear you cry. Well, I think it's one very important thing that we need to hear. It's the honesty. It's the truthfulness of it. We get frightened. We lose heart. We want to backtrack. It's human nature. Better the devil you know and all that. Pretense is to the Christian adventure what water is to fire. It's a dampener, a killer. God wants us to be real. He wants us to be open and he wants us to be honest. And he can work with that. He can work with that honesty. He can work with that openness. But pretense is a lie. And it prevents us from receiving the help that God offers. Because we pretend that we don't need it. And so then we go without it. And we carry on regardless. I don't know about you, but that's one of the most, uh, that's one of the most powerful parts of, of what struck me at Lee Abbey this year. It was that openness and honesty of people who were encouraged once Richard uh, Atkins just followed his own heart and was really honest before the rest of the people. And that encouraged others to do the same, whether that was publicly or privately. We were encouraged then to be open and honest about our need for God in our lives. Pretense is what can hold us back from growing as a Christian community too. And developing open relationships is key if we're to continue to grow as a church. So be encouraged to be honest about your doubts and fears. It's a good start because it shows in full detail the help that we need from God. Moses answers his people's doubts by telling them not to be afraid and to stand firm. And this is the third piece of encouragement we see from this story. When I was in Uganda about 20 years ago, which is hard to believe, I can't quite believe it, I was invited to go and preach at a church 
that was way out in the sticks. I could see from one or two of the other members of the team's faces that there was some concern about that. They weren't that keen about that invitation. And it set me on edge. And it turns out because this had become uh, rebel territory, a lot of bandits, if you like, a lot of robbery and a lot of violence over the months. But then the team leader spoke up and said, don't worry, things have eased recently and you'll be going with Anthony and he'll be taking his strongbow with him. Well, I didn't even know Anthony had a strongbow, but I can tell you it really helped me and uh, I knew then that I would be safe providing that I walked behind Anthony every step of the way and uh, I kept as close to him as I possibly could. Well, the Bible shows us that God often tells people not to be afraid. Do not be afraid is something that is repeated throughout the Bible. And it's God's assurance to us that our very worst fears will not happen. Our very worst fears will not happen. Instead, God is with us and he's at work on our behalf. And for us, as we, like the Israelites, face one challenging situation after another, one heap of trouble after another, this is a tremendous word of comfort. God is on our side. And as Paul wrote, if God is with us, or for us, who can stand against us? I will fight for you, God tells Moses. I am your warrior. I am your leader in battle. That's that promise. And so by standing firm, God wants for us to be ready to move into that freedom he's working out for us. We're not to be distracted by the things we feel trapped by or the enemy pursuing us, but to anticipate, to be ready for the freedom that God will lead us into. This is an experience that Kate and I are having at the moment, that we're anticipating that freedom that God wants us to move into for, for ourselves. For all sorts of reasons, God has been increasing that sense of anticipation in us. And we can't wait, because we really need that in all sorts of ways. So be encouraged to remember that God is on our side, and he will fight for you, and he will enable you to stand firm. And so if that was the third bit of encouragement we see, then the fourth is this. God will light up the night. For the Israelites, the angel of the Lord brought a pillar of cloud and saw it. It was like this pillar of fire, wasn't it? In the, in the, in the, in the movie clip on the screen, it was uh, really vivid, wonderful sight. And the Hebrew in the scriptures says that the cloud lit up the night. The cloud lit up the night. So what's clear is that the cloud acted as a sign of God being with his people. It was like a blanket of protection. The cloud appeared and it got them through the night. For us too, God will light up the night in the darkness that we all face at times, if we're honest. God's promise of protection is true and it's 100% trustworthy. Be encouraged then to trust that God will light up your night, bringing his promise 
of protection to you. And all this leads to one final piece of encouragement. All that we see God do will inspire us to trust him even more. Right at the end of the chapter, when you look at that later on, you'll see that after everything the Israelites have seen God do for them, the writer tells us that the people put their trust in God. Noticing, watching for the ways in which God is at work in our lives is incredibly important. How often do you, during the week, spot or be on the lookout for the, for the way that God's at work for good in your life? Do you ever intentionally stop and think about that? Do you ever look for it or does it just sort of take you by surprise? I know I'm terrible at it really if, I, if, I, if I'm honest with you. Maybe we ought to do it more because seeing how God has been revealing his glory, how he's enabled us to face up to our doubts, how he's been with us through thick and thin, how he's helped us to stand firm and light up the night sky for us, will help us then to trust him more into the future. Instead of falling back into despair and despondency, we'll press on into a new season. A new season with highs and lows, with joys and sorrows, but with a renewed and deepened trust, knowing that we're in the process of having things sorted, just like the vicarage garden. If that's what you want, then I encourage you to ask God to lead you to that point on the adventure that you are on, where you can do this together with God, where you can partner with him, where you can say to him, I really need you, and let's do this together. I know that's the way you work, so let's be partners in this. If that's what you want, then I encourage you to do that today. To say to God, I want to be your partner in life. Amen. Thank you, Tim. Let's be quiet for a moment or two.